Let's get this W on three. One, two, three. W Podcast, hosted by Princess and Love. And uh, it's only right that today you become the all-time leading scorer uh, in WNBA history. So um, much respect, much love. You know, I'm always here, always have been. And, uh, you know, it's only right that you set the record in those kicks today, too, by the way. Salute. Hey D-Money, congratulations on becoming the WNBA's all-time leading scorer. It is my absolute pleasure to pass the torch on to you. I just want you to know that I'm so proud of you. You are most definitely one of the best players to ever play this game. So the praises you just heard came from the voices of LeBron James and former WNBA all-time leading scorer Tina Thompson, who is now passing the torch on to new WNBA all-time leading scorer Diana Taurasi. Yes, we witnessed history this week as she became the new all-time great atop all other scorers in the league um, against the Los Angeles Sparks. And the list doesn't stop there when it comes to her props. People from all over social media were congratulating her, other WNBA players, Mia Hamm, soccer superstar, Kevin Durant. So many people came together to applaud this amazing feat for Diana Taurasi. And we here at the W Podcast, hosted by me, Princess Streeter, as well as Lo, my lovely co-host. Also, hey, everybody. Yeah, we also would like to extend a congratulations to Diana Tarazi. So let's talk a little bit about this feat here. How amazing is this, Lo, to like smack everybody else, take the top crown, and really put it out of reach because she's still going. She's still producing. What are you thinking right now? I think it's an amazing accomplishment. Um, it's a true example of the hard work that she's put into the game, how dedicated she is, um, how consistent she is as well. I couldn't see anybody else breaking that score. I mean, that, not, excuse, that, that, not that score, that record, but her. I couldn't see anybody else from but her. I think she's the perfect person to take over the reins as the WNBA all-time leading scorer. Um, and like you said, she is going to set the bar even higher because with her signing the multi-year deal, she has a lot more basketball in her, for, well, at least for the next couple of years. So we all know that offensively, she is a big piece to the puzzle in Phoenix. She's a big piece to the puzzle internationally when she plays for her Team USA as well. So she's going to just continue to put the bar so high. And whatever young lady in the future tries to surpass her they have their work cut out for them you know they're gonna have to put a lot of years in in order to get where diana is going yeah that's true and that's why we always say that's so scary because 
like she's not letting up and you know like she's still healthy you know we're still praying that she remains healthy um but just to see mm-hmm. her still dominate at her age and with her time in the league so i want to ask you because you know i just started out covering the WNBA, but you got a little bit of tenure in this um so any of the times if you have seen her in person um play in madison square garden what was that experience like and just how did she dominate and take over the game um, I've had the pleasure of seeing her play twice. Uh, well, let me say twice, um, in two different settings. So I saw her play here in New York, and I got the opportunity to see her play in Phoenix. Um, I went to a family wedding in Phoenix, and I said, hey, it's the first day of the playoffs. Might as well go to the game and cover it. And so I had the pleasure of seeing her play both places. And from what I've witnessed myself um diana causes a lot of problems on the court (laughs) she you know it's one of those things where you just can't leave her open at all you can't leave her unattended for too long you can't leave her open she is going to dominate she is going to score she's going to take advantage of the opportunities that's there like you cannot be caught slipping you have to be on your p's and q's when it comes to diana um even if it the the team overall that she may be facing may win the game, you know, but her individually as a player is so hard to guard her. Yeah. A true testament to that is with her resume, three time NBA champ, mm-hmm. four time Olympic gold medalist, 2009 MVP, uh, multiple scoring league titles, league scoring titles. Um, and just such a dominant in the game. She's so respected. I love that. Um, and so we got to witness history. It would have been great if she could have kept off that with a win, but um, the Spurs yeah. did go to blow out the Mercury. Um, but Kobe Bryant was there. He spent his Father's Day, brought his uh, oldest daughters to the game courtside to watch her, um, you know, beat the record. I thought that was really, really cool of him to do that. Another thing I wanted to add about Diana, um, in addition to her actual skill set and game. It's her attitude. You know, she's very fiery. She's very feisty, you could kind of say. She's very aggressive. And it's kind of contagious. You know, for her team, it kind of lights them up. And it gives them the spark of energy that they need to do, maybe if they're in a slump. And it also kind of, for the other team, you can kind of say it's kind of like a spark for them as well. It kind of, I think, puts makes them get on notice. It's like, oh, we have to wait. It wakes other teams up, you know? Mm-hmm. So if another team may be in the lead for a little bit, but then Diana has a run where she's out here scoring all these different points or, you know, she's giving people a hard time or making steals or whatever it is that she's doing, at the time it kind of gets the other team to kind of buckle down and say, all right, we got to get serious. So I think when she steps on the court, she changes not only the, the mood and the the drive with her own teammates, but I think she also puts other teams on notice and kind of gets them to step their game up too to defend the, the Mercury. And I think that's why the Mercury have been successful over the past couple of years. No doubt it's because of Diana and her contributions. Definitely. And so now that the all-star talks are going on right now, we know she's definitely going to be at the top of the list. It's a starter. Um, she's been in, I don't even know how many times in her career she's been all-star. I think seven, seven times, seven or eight times. Mm-hmm. Um, Career. So um, let's go into, like we talked about last week, getting our all-star East and West starters picks. 
So I'll have you kick off your starting five. Um, you can pick the West first or the East first, you know, whichever one you're feeling. Um, but yeah, let us know your all-star starters, your top five picks from each conference. All right. So for the East, I picked Elena Deladon. Can't believe I didn't even think about her last week. After I listened to the podcast over, I was like, how could I not think of Elena? Elena Deladon, Amani Boyette. I picked, I was going to pick Angel McCartry, but who knows if she's coming back. Her name may or may not be up here, but I don't know if she's going to come back at this point. So, over this year. So, Amani Boyette, um, Tamara Young, Elena Deladon, Tina Charles, Sugar Rogers. Oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. Is that five? You're starting five? That's my starting five, yeah. I'm a little, that's not okay, my starting cool. five. That's just five players I just picked. I picked 10. So I picked five East, five West. I didn't pick the whole 12. What about your West top five players that you would have on the court as your all star starters? Lindsay Whalen, Maya Moore, Dan Tarazi, Candace Parker, and Neko Gumike. Candace Parker, you got her in center? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I will say, um, I'll start with the West. This is kind of tough. This is actually not kind of tough. This is very tough for me to pick a top five. So I kind of have either ors I might throw out there. Mm-hmm. So point, Lindsay Whalen slash Jewel Lloyd, uh, guard Diana Tarazi, um, mm-hmm. other guard, my four, forward Neko Gumake or Candace Parker. I don't know. I can't, I can't decide. I can't, I can't. I know, and then as well as center, I can't decide. It's crazy. Um, Sylvia Fowles or Brittany Griner. So, mm. or if I had to pick, I would go ahead and say Neca, Maya, Sylvia is like my final. And then for the East side, I mean, you gotta respect since we're talking about scoring titles, you gotta talk about this lady who was four points from number four all time on the list behind Katie Smith, Cappy Pondexter. Y'all know that's my. Mm-hmm. Uh, point guard for the East. I'd have her up there. Um, Taylor Hill, since uh, covering the Mystics, I've definitely seen how talented she is. And so for guards with, um, with like her size, uh, she's so quick, so explosive. Like I definitely got to go Taylor Hill. And of course, her teammate, Elena Deladon, we can't forget her. Um, my other guard, uh, this is such a toss up as well, but I went Laisha Clarendon. Um, she's doing really, really right. good times for Atlanta. And then in the post, I have a toss-up between Jonquil Jones and Tina Charles. It's tough. Nice. So hard to pick 10 out of 144. Like, it really is. Yeah, because I had Skylar Diggins Smith up there on the west side, and you know, I was making some changes. It was a lot going on. I just couldn't figure out exactly which way I wanted to go with it. I did the same thing, so I don't even feel bad. And we also want to hear from you guys. Um, tweet us at the W Podcast underscore. Hit us up on Instagram at the W Podcast and let us know who your starting five is. We would love to hear your thoughts and help us decide. I mean, we're just two of the many voices of WNBA. Just help us out here. Speaking of all-stars, particularly no all-stars, you mentioned, we both mentioned a couple of ladies from the links. And this week, this 
uh, the Lynx were handed their first loss of the season at the hands of the Connecticut Sun. Did you get an opportunity to watch the game, Princess? I actually did not, um, but I did go back. Then I watched the second half of it um, because that's when I was looking on Twitter, that's, everybody said that's all I needed to see was the second half of this game. And they were so right. Um, John Claude Jones took over um, really in that game. And um, Courtney Williams, uh, Jasmine Thomas, and Alyssa Thomas really contributed so much energy offensively for them. Um, so many people have been saying their record does not reflect their skill. And that's so true. Um, you know, just they were down 3-5 at one point, but they're really out here working and really out here upsetting the Minnesota Lynx. And so they've now won four straight games. Um, so right now they have the longest active streak in the league, which is really good. And they're at 500 right now uh, for the first time since the beginning of last season, which is crazy. Um, so you can just see how Jonquil Jones and her sophomore campaign is really making a difference for Connecticut. Um, she's the only player in the WNBA right now to average double-figure rebounds at 12.2, and she's adding on to that 15.5 points and one-and-a-half blocks per game. Courtney Williams is also stepping it up, 12.7 points, 4.9 rebounds, and 1.8 assists. And now their roster is going to have to shift around a little bit. It might be a little bit of cuts and um, – mm -hmm because Alex Bentley has to come back um, from playing in Russia. And so, you know, hopefully she can kind of um, come back into the system and get everything going again. But they really are a bright spot in the East just to see how young and talented they are. And then their ceiling isn't even all the way capped off because Chanae Ogumake right now is still out with her injury. She's still healing and making boss moves in the offseason. But um, – yeah, I'm like ESPN correspondent and anchor for Sports Center across Africa. So dope. Um, so once she's, you know, she's doing all that right now because she's out. So she's technically off the roster. So when you think about making more room for her to come back with all the talent she has, Connecticut Sun are dangerous. Very dangerous. When the season's done, how do you think Junkwell would have performed overall? You mean like points wise, rebound wise, all you mean like accolades, or do you think like overall, oh, just as for the way her the the path in which her career is taking off into so far this season? Where do you plan? Where do you think you'll see her? Like not necessarily a team or anything like that, but just like where do you see her career standing at at the end of this year with the performance that she's been given so far? I definitely think when we were talking, well, I'll, I'll gauge that back to last week when we were talking about the big men who were dominating the points and we're talking about the differences in the game and stuff. She is one of the big men who is at the top of the league right now. And for her to be so young against amongst, I'm not going to say against amongst um, scorers like Elena Deladon, Brittany Griner, um, Neko Gumake, uh, just people who have for their great talents and stuff. She's now emerging as another great talent. And right now to be the only person with, um, you know, double digit rebounds and pretty much averaging a double double right now, that's not easy to do. She's being so efficient. And I really like her on the Connecticut Sun because she has a lot of room to grow um, in times where if Cheney was there, um, she would have to, if she made mistakes or if she wasn't quite getting it done and she wasn't getting into a scoring groove, she'd have to sit down and Chanae would come in or or um, Strickland or Lynetta Kaiser would come in in that front court. But she's actually spending more time on the court and being allowed to make mistakes 
Um, and so that's really helping her grow, I can tell, uh, on the basketball court. So I really, I'm, I always talk about her. I'm a huge fan of her at this point and just her growth and development from, uh, from um, George Washington to now. So I'm definitely excited to see her and, and the Connecticut Sun really make a mark in the Eastern Conference. So dope to see. Speaking of George Washington, the NCAA uh, has some rule changes recently that are pretty, pretty interesting involving the four-foot arc line. So I'm going to toss this one over to you, Princess, because you are the college basketball specialist out of the two of us. <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit. What, what changes the NCAA have going on right now? Um, I think it's really important to note um, and pay attention to a few years ago, I think actually two years ago, NCAA enacted the first because that's when halves became quarters and timeouts were changed, ch- changed and fouls and the bonus. And there was no uh, there was no one and one from the free throw line. There was no, uh, you miss one, you don't get the second shot or make one. Or I mean, it's just a lot of that change. It was some really big changes in the game. Um, on the women's side. And so now I guess they're tweaking that to kind of perfect it or um, change issues that might have happened. And so all of us, if you watch basketball, you notice in the lane right underneath the basket, there's a small white arc. Usually it's white. And usually for a defender, if you're standing um, inside of the arc, if someone goes up to the uh, offensive players driving to the lane, driving down the lane to the hoop and um, you're inside of that arc is going to automatically be called a block because they are so far underneath. It's kind of a continuation and body control issue there for the blocking charge that makes it hazy. So right now the actual, this actually I think benefits whatever defender, uh, secondary defender is there because that arc, which was now three feet away from the basket is now going to be four feet away from the basket in CAA. It makes a lot of changes there. And so that's interesting to see uh, the charge and the block are always so controversial. And just when you think someone took a charge, it's, it ends up being called a foul um, on them on the defense. And so it's, it's I think it kind of helps clear that gray area a little bit more. Um, and there's a few other rule changes there as well. Um, there's also some inbounding changes. So the teams can choose which side of the court they want to inbound the ball after advancing it to the front court after a timeout in the back court. So um, I guess the best way to explain that is if you have a timeout in the back court, you're taking the ball out, you automatically move to the front court. Um, and I think that's what tripped a lot of players up in the initial season. Uh, it was something so new, you don't really take the ball out from the baseline anymore. It comes from the sideline. And so you can kind of pick, now you can pick exactly where you want to to inbound it versus the 28-foot line on the side with the scorer's table. So big difference there. Other rule changes are the use it or lose it timeout. I did not like this rule at all. I didn't think it was fair. Basically, the use it or lose it rule was whatever timeouts you had in the first half are wiped out when the second half starts. It's the timeouts start over again. Um, now it's kind of like a rollover plan where you whatever timeouts you have in the first half can still go in the second because isn't that I mean I think that's weird for you to just have to use all your timeouts in the first half I think it slows the pace of the game down for people who are kind of desperate to use a timeout when you don't necessarily need it and then other rules like the coach's box is going to be extended to 38 feet and previously it was 28 feet in length now to me I feel like coaches are always running around they're doggone near half court normally when they're 
when they're coaching. I think Muffet McGraw really stretches the coach's box a lot. So this would be good for her because she likes to walk the sidelines. Um, so now that's extend, uh, extended to 38 feet, as well as I'm always here for post players. Like this is like my big thing. Now we talk about three second violations in the lane. So if you're on offense, you cannot be in the lane for more than three seconds. Um, and so now instead of just placing one foot out of the lane to be like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm I'm going to bounce back in. You now have to place both feet on the floor outside of the lane to avoid a three-second violation. So post players, be looking. The refs are watching your feet, and they are counting how long you are in the lane. Oh, I think that's very important to note. So, yes, a lot of big NCAA rule changes there for people to know, and they're constantly evolving the game to fit the pace that they wanted to go at. Which rules did you think were like, oh, I didn't, you know, you may have learned something new or you just – weren't feeling it previously. The use it or lose it rule, I think, was pretty interesting because I agree with you that it messes up the, the pace of the game, messes up the momentum. Sometimes I do think other teams use timeouts as a way to break momentum, especially if they're getting blown out <laughs> or especially if a team goes on another run. Then they use timeouts to kind of break that momentum up a little bit. So for them to just have to use it all in one quarter or the or excuse me, one half, what happens if you're having a good first half and you don't really necessarily have to tweak anything or change anything? But you still want to yeah. have it just in case. So I think that was that was the one that stood out to me the most was that particular one. Yeah, and then with the use of media timeouts, that made it even more annoying because you have four media timeouts and then you have the coach's timeout. So it was just a lot of timeout and that was unnecessary. So, um, I mean, good coaches, good mm -hmm. experienced coaches knew how to adapt and use it, but you could kind of see some coaches who weren't getting the flow of it that well and were having to uh, try and retry and revamp some things for it. So now it's good to see that's out the window. We don't have to worry about that anymore in NCAA basketball. Transition to really um, who put – women's NCAA basketball on the map. We're going to talk about Pat Summit. So this month of June is her birth month, as well as the month she died. Uh, last year, so we hit the anniversary of her passing. Um, Candace Parker is now rocking orange sneakers this entire month, which I think is great um, in honor of her late coach and one of her really close friends, as she always likes to say. And so let's remember Pat Summit for a little minute here. Um, talk a little bit about her legacy at Tennessee. Marie's was watching the Tennessee and UConn matchup, just seeing how many dominant players came out of those two programs consistently. Um, and so she's really who helped, uh, you know, Gino Ariema become the legend that he is. He always attributes, you know, his basketball knowledge to Pat Summit as well as, you know, when he had his great players, Tennessee always gave them a run for their money. I thought it was an amazing thing for her. She's immortalized. We talk about the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, in general, the Basketball Hall of Fame. Um, she's recognized as one of the greatest coaches ever, period. Not women coaches, not in women's sports. She's one of the greatest coaches ever. And I think that's so amazing. And I'd also like to share a memory of one of her quotes that has really spoken to me outside of sports, just in life. Um, Pat Summon said, here's how I'm going to beat you. I'm going to outwork you. That's it. That's all there is to it. And so many people who talk about her life and the person that she was say that that is her mantra. She was going to outwork you. 
she's going to be the best regardless. And I think that's what she instilled in her players and how they became superstars and eventually how she touched the world. Whether it be the program that she has, uh, that she was running down in Tennessee and the, a lot of the players that has came out of that program, whether it's players that ended up playing overseas, ladies that came to the WNBA or ladies that may not have picked up a basketball after college. I mean, her impact is just insane. You know, for her to have the record that she has with her wins, it sets the bar high for coaching staff all around the country, all around the world. Like that's something that you can strive for. You strive for excellence. And one of the things that I remember when she passed last year, a lot of her former players, including Kenneth Parker, were talking about was that she was also just a motherly figure. And the reason I brought that up is because oftentimes we talk about you know, male coaches and the way they kind of raise young boys to men, you know, um, they have these kids when they come straight out of high school and they're just, they're just so talented, but they don't know how to hone it differently. And I think it's the same thing for women. And I think we should also talk about that with for women. You know, she had relationships with these ladies well after they graduated, well after they continued with their professional athletic careers, you know, players were go see her and just spend time with her because she was like a motherly figure for those girls because she spent so much time with those girls, you know, and saw them more than their actual families because they were living in or near Tennessee. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she has just such an amazing legacy. And I hope that her passing brings more awareness to Alzheimer's as well. I really hope that maybe the basketball community, the sports community can really back, get into the effort of trying to beat a disease like that. Um, You know, whether it be fundraising, it could be donations, it could be just creating more awareness for it because it's a shame that she was so young. You know, she wasn't old, she wasn't, you know, 90 years old and lived her life well into her, you know, she was only 64. You know, and she was just, uh, she just turned 64, as a matter of fact, like a week or two prior. So I hope, you know, it brings more awareness to that. But yeah, Pat Summit is just, she's never, ever going to be, she's just one of a kind. Not There's not a lot of Pat Summits that come around often. Oh, yeah, there's definitely a one and only Pat Summit. And to, to back, piggyback off what you said about her being that mother figure, um, I was listening to Around the Rim last week, and they were talking about Pat Summit, and Holly Rowe chipped in and was like, she had the ability to go from tough, very, very tough, the, the tough love that pushes you and pushes you to your limits and makes you uncomfortable, but also that soft side that reminds you that it's all for your benefit and all for your greatness. And she had that ability for her players who were young and developing from girls to women um, for them to understand and grow that as women, you can have both sides. You can have the tough side. You can have the soft side. None of that diminishes your femininity and you as a woman. I think that's such an important lesson to teach women. Some few people get that lesson and it's even better if you get that lesson from Pat Summit, a true legend. So I'd like to say rest in peace and um, send condolences to her son and her family who she was very close with. And so we'll always continue to celebrate, um, you know, her birthday and this month of June for her. I think that's very important for us to do. Um, and so transitioning away from basketball for a second, 
I'm going to throw this to you because you're from the birthplace of hip hop in <laughs> New York City. And so uh, New York City's own Jay-Z was the first rapper inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Crazy, mm-hmm. crazy, crazy. Amazing. Congratulations. He's about to drop an album. Just had twins. Like nothing is slowing this man down right now. He's on top. Um, so that's great for Jay-Z. And so we also, <laughs> while we're talking about music, we also had a fallen rapper who passed, Prodigy of Mob Deep. Um, so oh, it really hit New York hard. Um, so while they're celebrating Jay-Z, you know, to, to lose one of their own, who really established hip-hop coming out of New York City. So rest in peace to Prodigy um, for that. And so we have a lot to talk about with music in the league or just music in general, hip-hop, how it influences our lives and our day-to-day. I think hip-hop and sports are first cousins. <laughs> um, I think over the past, what, de- over a decade, yeah. we've really seen the marriage of hip-hop with music and I um, with sports. And I think it's something that maybe those of us that live in areas where hip-hop was dominant, those of us who grew up in urban areas knew, but to see it really play out on television, um, you know, it's it's incredible. You know, now you see at all-star games and halftime shows, you see art, different artists performing. Uh, it, it's, it's incredible what's going on. Um, Jay-Z being the first rapper to be in the Songwriters Hall of Fame is, I think... I think it's a little overdue, but <laughs> me it's personally, overdue. it's overdue in general to have a hip hop lyricist in there. Period. Exactly. Yeah. Period. It, exactly. Because there's so many other greats that came before him that just are so, they tell such amazing stories with the pen. But I think Jay Z is not just what he writes, it's how he writes. This is how he delivers it. You know, we there's stories all the time. I call them like the the truthful myths because the people make it sound like it's like urban legend, where Jay Z will just go into a recording booth and just rap. Yeah, and and it's like he freestyles, and but he remembers everything he says the second time when he goes to perform it or the next time he may have to re-record it. And it's like, how do you do that? Um, some of my favorite. Jay-Z songs. Well, my favorite Jay-Z album is the Black Album. Um, that's the one with Dirt Off Your Shoulders. That's the one with um, Encore. Allure, Encore. What More Can I Say? Like, hands down, my favorite Jay-Z album. Front to back, don't skip a song. It gets me so excited. It gets me so emotional. It makes me so angry. It makes me happy. It makes me so many different emotions. I love that album. And my second favorite is The Blueprint. Um, the Blueprint was popular when I was in middle school, going into high school. No, no middle school. It was popular then. Um, I was part of a little dance squad, so we used to dance some of the songs on the album. And that one had um, H to the Izzo, that popular song. They had a couple of songs. I think they had more hits on the album than actual hits on the radio with him. But just seeing him flourish into a businessman, a philanthropist, a father. Uh, Jay-Z is just like the model 
rags to riches story. Yeah. Well, he really wasn't in rags when he started. He was making money. He just wasn't making money in ways that we would suggest you make money, right? But <laughs> yeah, because he came from rags, so he he had to grind the way he had to grind. He had to grind the way he had to grind. So, um, and since you just mentioned prodigy, also one half of Mob Deep from Queens. If you don't know Shook Ones, if you don't know Quiet Storm. I think those are the one, the two songs you should know if you haven't. If you don't know it by the name, you know it by the beat. Um, there. So can we? Can I honestly say how I feel about hip hop? Mm-hmm. I know we're talking. Talk, okay, so I'm a little bit older. I'm in my early 30s. Well, 31. Just got here, right? But I think I was you know, in middle school and even a little bit of elementary when hip hop was at its best. And when you look back at it now or listen to a lot of the songs now, the songs were just so classic. They were timeless. You know, there's a lot of timeless music that was being made. I don't know if the rappers or the musicians thought it was going to be timeless when they were making it. But there's so many songs that like, I think will live on. And when I think of some of the songs that Mob Deep have made, you know, that album that they debuted, the infamous album, I mean, that just is classic. It's hip hop gold. It's like one of those top 10 albums of all time when it comes to hip hop. It really created the blueprint of the sound. That created the blueprint, but it's part of the blueprint of the sound that comes from New York. We all know different regions all around across the country have unique sounds, but that New York sound, they are definitely instrumental in it. And he has sickle cell. Um, so he passed to, I'm pretty sure the complications, I know he was hospitalized because he was having some, he was getting sick and having some issues with sickle cell and he passed. So that's another, you know, illness, another disease that hopefully this will shed some more light on. More money can be invested into research to finding a cure or to find ways to prolong the life of a lot of people. He was, is a disease I think that you're born with. So he lived to be 42. So technically he lived a long life with the disease, but he still died so young, you know? So hopefully um, we can get a cure to some of these diseases, you know, that's unfortunate, you know, that you're born with or that you develop at a later age, like we just talked about past summit and rest in peace to him and, you know, condolences out to his family and to everyone who loves hip-hop speaking of loving the hip-hop uh (laughs) let's talk about hip-hop and music in general in relation to the WNBA so there are some a couple of players their hands I'm going to be honest, when you said speaking of Love and Hip Hop, I thought you were going to talk about the show Love and Hip Hop for a second, which is why I laughed. Oh, um, no. <laughs> you know, there's really about- music on Love and Hip Hop. You know, there's, I don't know, nobody ever is like a real musician. <laughs> Who was in New York that really made music? Uh, uh, Joe Budden had a song. You know, some people kind of. Well, well, Joe, okay. Joe Budden, I mean, he legit has some hits, right? One hit. Um, one hit. <laughs> I could talk about loving hip hop all day, guys. Okay. <laughs> no, but there are some, what I said was, speaking of loving 
hip hop. There are players who are who dibble and dabble in music a little bit. One person I know for sure is Essence Carson. She writes music. She raps. She produces her own music too. Her music alias is Preppy, P-R, the number three, P-E. So you see her on social media a lot. Um, I think she does have a website with some of her work also. And I discovered that um, Cheyenne Parker can sing. Where'd mm-hmm. that come from? When that video went viral, I was like, okay, Cheyenne, I see you. I know. You can hold a note, girl. Right. I was like, okay. I'm trying to think of if Are there any other players who have some kind of hidden talent? Special talents. We got to dig more deep, dig deeply into that one. If you guys know of any players with some kind of hidden talent, um, if you have receipts or proof or video of this hidden talent, please send us the links. Please send us the videos. We'd love to shout them out and share it because I think that's dope. Like, if you could sing, if you could write, if you can direct, if you have any kind of artistic ability outside of, you know, playing sports, which I'm sure plenty of them do. I mean, I want to hear people sing. I want to, like, buy an album. I'm pretty sure a lot of them could be stand-up comedians because of the videos, the click colors I see of people in the WNBA. These women are hilarious. So I'm sure some people will have a, a promising career in comedy. So that's my receipts there. We can also talk about Maya when she did those Uncle Drew commercials. My goodness. <laughs> well, I mean, it's acting. No, yes, it is. And it was hilarious. Exactly. Just to see. Yeah. And then the Connecticut sound, I don't know if you ever see on their Twitter, it's like John Quill Jones, Jasmine Thomas, and Lisa Thomas, and somebody else. They dress up as old women. And they pretend to be like old women watching the sun play. Um, so they're always like putting in political commentary. It's that one's fun. <laughs> always on I've got to see it. So that one is definitely a good one to pick up. That's funny. That I've never seen. I gotta look into that because that sounds like it's gonna be <laughs> jokes. Like <laughs> on Twitter. And I was sitting here like, what? So the little their little old ladies are dressed up little canes and stuff like that and they are they are jokes for real <laughs> so what are you getting into this week princess i am coming to new york city <laughs> so princess is gonna be in town uh god willing both of us will be at pride night at the garden on friday yes taking in uh Will it be your first time at MSG? It will be my first time at MSG. And I'm probably going to cry when I walk in there. Don't I'm going to cry. Um, (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm also going to Barclays. It'll be my first time inside of Barclays. So I will really be just getting the real arena experience. I'm so excited. Um, So, yeah. Shout out to that. You can make it a date and... um, have the W podcast together. I'm very excited. I think it'll be fun. Yes, we're finally going to have a real live recording without internet difficulties. <laughs> We've had so many. We've had so many, y'all. Y'all don't even know the half of it because we cover it up real well. But we sure do. We come up with alternate, alternative ideas and things like that. But um, 
<laughs> yeah, so she's going to be in town this week. So she will be coming to New York and I can try to show her a good time when she has, when she has time. I don't know, you know, I don't know all her schedule, but um, yeah. yeah, she's going to come gonna over. Yes, I'm going to come over and have a, uh, Take a nap on your couch, raid your fridge. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, we're working on the couch part, but we have recliners, so we got you covered. I'm good. Wherever I can nap, I'm good. We got you covered. Sweet. But um, is this is this it for this week, no? Yeah, man, this is it. We were talking about hip-hop and loving the music scene, and so we are going to take you all out a little differently. Usually we have our theme song playing out, but... We're going to drop that. We're going to do Quiet Storm or we're going to do uh, Shook Ones. What you feeling? I think I'm Shook Ones. Shook Ones, I think it's a little bit more. I think it's the most com- I think it's the most popular song. I think if you don't know who Mob Deep is or you don't know who Prodigy is, you definitely have heard Shook Ones. But that Quiet Storm beat, though, make you just want to hit a. Oh, Dina. Uh, no, yeah. I, and trust me, little Kim, little Kim on Quiet uh, Quiet Storm is crazy. Trust me. Oh my goodness, I, on I, the remix, get it on the remix. Yeah. But you know what? <laughs> I feel like a lot of people, if they don't know Mob Deep, they've watched Eight Mile, so True. they know Shook Ones. So that's right, the song right. that we're going to, you know, leave you guys with today to pay homage to the great prodigy and just hip hop in general. So. Thank you so much for tuning in to another week of the W Podcast. On behalf of myself, Lo, and my beautiful, brilliant co-host here, Princess Streeter, uh, thanks for listening. As always, subscribe to us. We are on iTunes and SoundCloud. And follow us on our social media handles at the W Podcast and on Twitter at the W Podcast underscore. Or email us any questions that you have the w podcast at gmail.com yes y'all reach out we'd love to hear from you enjoy the beat have a great week and don't forget about us next week we will be back y'all take care love y'all bye who want to profile and pose? Rock you in your face, stab your brain with your nose bone. You all alone in these streets, cousin. Every man for himself in his land, we be gunning. And keep them shook crews running like they supposed to. They come around, but they never come close to. I can see it inside your face, you're in the wrong place. Cowards like you just get their whole body laced up with bullet holes and sucks. Speak the wrong words, man, and you will get touched. You can put your whole army against my team, and I guarantee you it'll be your very last time breathing. You Simple words just don't move me. You're minor, we major. You're all up in the game and don't deserve to be a player. Don't make me have to call your name out. We cool as featherweight. My gunshots will make you levitate. I'm only 19, but my mind is older. When the things get for real, my warm heart turns cold. Enough nigga deceased, another story gets told. It ain't nothing really. And hey, yo, done sparked the Philly. So I could get my mind off these yellow back niggas. While they still alive, I don't know. Go figure. Meanwhile, back in Queens, the realness and foundation. If I die, I couldn't choose a better location. When the slugs penetrate, you feel a burning sensation getting closer to God in a tight situation now.
take these words home and think it through. Or the next rhyme I'm right might be about you. Sunday show. Cause ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Scared to death and scared to look. They shook. Cause ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. Scared to death and scared to look. Living the life that is diamonds and guns. There's numerous ways you can choose.